Hello, and thank you for listening to the World Dreamer Podcast, where we take popular stories and settings and turn them into tabletop RPGs. My name is Matt, and today we'll be delving into the world of The Legend of Zelda. All right, here we are. As per usual, I have a couple guests with me. Uh, However, both returning guests this time. No new people, however, I'm sure you already know and love these two. We got Gail. Gail, how's it how's it going? Hello. I'm good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. It's a it's a warm summer evening where I am and it's been raining sporadically. Uh, it has been raining all day. My jacket is soaked. It's great. <laughs> and we also have Mike. Mike, how are you doing? How's it how's it going? Hello, everyone. I'm doing well, Matt. Thank you so much. It's been raining not just sporadically, but all day where I'm at. But it's that nice contemplative sort of rain that just sort of pitter-patters against your window while you read a book. Yeah. So it's been lovely. Yeah. And on this nice rainy evening, what better a topic to tackle than The Legend of Zelda, the famed video game series we all know and love, What's everyone's familiarity level with The Legend of Zelda? I have played many a game. I haven't played the DS ones. I haven't had much experience with, like, the NES ones. But other than that, I think I've hit all the major ones. All right, all right. Mike, how about you? My familiarity with Legend of Zelda is very much as an enthusiast. I do not have the experience that Gil has had. I have played Skyward Sword in its entirety. And I've played bits and pieces from different ones like Wind Waker, like Breath of the Wild. My hot Zelda take, probably my hottest Zelda take, is I loved Skyward Swords motion controls. I loved swinging that sword around. That was a blast for me. I mean, it can be fun to pretend to swing a sword around. Although for my money, I'm real excited for that upcoming Skyward Sword port where I don't have to worry about that. Yes. (laughs) Unless they do bring that back. Yeah. No, they are bringing it back. It's just optional now. Ah, okay. Which I think will be better for people. Yeah. I own the version of Skyward Sword that isn't, like, the actual version. It's the Wii U Wii Shop one. Oh, yeah. For my Zelda experience, I... Well, I also started with Skyward Sword. That was also my first Zelda game. However, I've played... I've played Link's Awakening, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, Twilight Princess... Triforce Heroes, which I actually didn't like, (laughs) and Breath of the Wild, which is probably my favorite Zelda game, come to think of it. So you played Skyward Sword first and then went back and played stuff like Spirit Tracks. Yeah, yeah, because my my first system was the, the Nintendo Wii. Right. I think my first Zelda game was Ocarina of Time 3D. Oh, the, the 3DS port? Yeah. Yeah. So my first console was the Wii. My first handheld was the 3DS. Yeah, same here. But I I don't think I ever got... Yeah, I didn't get Skyward Sword because obviously I, if I could have a physical copy, I would. Hmm. They're so expensive. That's very true. I love what like what's coming up, though, how with Legend of Zelda, like it is a series that creates such specific tangible memories of like... Ah, uh, yeah, this is the first Legend of Zelda game I played. This is the platform I played it on. Like, it has been instilled in me, the feeling of, like, opening up Skyward Sword and setting the Wii Remote face down so it would calibrate and then jumping in. It's amazing. It's the inherent nostalgia of Nintendo. 
you don't really get that with anything else. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, part of why we're talking about Legend of Zelda is, you know, it has a really iconic place and a very distinct feel. And I think it kind of needs its own thing in order to capture that. Definitely. Although I'll throw the question out there. Is there any other like reason off the top of your head you guys can think as to why Zelda sort of deserves its own kind of RPG thing as opposed to just making it D&D? Yeah, I think the biggest thing about Zelda is that the series as a whole is designed for single player. Mm. Yeah. So I think just like porting it to D&D, which is very much built around the group, I think you're going to be missing the like feeling of going in and just tackling a dungeon. Mm. I still think there should be some elements of like, you know, cooperation more so in this RPG. Yeah, definitely. But I do agree there are elements that I think you could add to make, you know, it easier for individuals to shine. Yeah. Yeah, cuz it's just like that is the essence yes like even i wonder if you just limited like the typical party because you know typically you just have like zelda and his sidekick zelda and the princess zelda and the, and the funny fairy yeah everyone's favorite uh elf eared green cloth wearing boy zelda that's definitely his name yeah that's definitely his mm-hmm. name so, certainly <laughs> jokes aside though jokes aside though i matt you ask why not just D D, and my answer is if this is something i can instill in this audience that is maybe just experiencing their moves away from D D, it's that the genre that D D does well is D D. D D is its own genre in the sense of you have characters with specific powers and specific paths they can go on there's a lot of ways to build your character and there's a lot of excitement into what class combinations do I want to do? How can I push my stats the most? What monsters can I fight and kill? Where I feel like if you want a great Star Wars RPG, you can find that through, like they made a Star Wars game that is Star Wars Saga Edition. It's based off of 3.5 and it's absolutely wild. I'm talking about, I'm even talking about the Fantasy Flight games where they eschew the D20 system entirely and use narrative dice and it captures very much the storytelling of Star Wars. Stuff like Blades in the Dark where you have, instead of these specific character builds and stuff, it is focused around like telling a story in a circle with your friends. And I think that like, I love what Gail was saying earlier of like, if we took the typical structure and you like scale it down a bit so that maybe it is just a few people is what it's built for. And you have those close experiences where you're building this story and exploring this world with your friends. I don't know. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of merit to that of making a thing built for a smaller group to have a more intimate experience. By the way, just to unfortunately rain on anyone's parade who was thinking of it, the existence of Star Wars sagas, a thing I have played and enjoyed quite a bit, probably means there's never going to be a Star Wars episode of, of this show, unfortunately. Just go play Star Wars sagas. That's the episode. Or Fantasy Flight Games is also very good. <laughs> that too. That too. You guys have brought up some great points about sort of player size and really capturing the sort of closeness that Zelda brings on. So I guess with that in mind, let's jump right into some uh, 
mechanic ideas, and I think a good a good place to start as any would be character creation. And I think the easy part of that is playable, like fantasy races or species or whatnot, because there's a lot to choose from from a variety of Zelda games. If I may bring in a more controversial one of the Legend of Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Hyrule Warriors. Oh. Is there controversy with Hyrule Warriors? I think it's all right. It's, I didn't know it was controversial. I, I, I think it's just... Like, I, I liked it, honestly. The story was pretty interesting. I mean, outside of the story, I just think it's a better done, like, Dynasty Warriors-type games. Like, I think it's a pretty strong entry into that sort of line of games. Yeah, but I, I think, like, in the greater internet community, liking Hyrule Warriors, at least the original, I don't know about Aiden Calamity, is a bit of a hot take. Well, we're gonna say it right here, this is a, a Hyrule Warriors appreciation space. Yeah. Hell yeah. But so, like, what they did with that was you had each of the characters that you could play as, and they had their own, like, weapons, which went to how you played with them. For instance, with Link, you had the sword, um, the fire rod. Link had most of, like, a lot of the weapons. Uh, the, the the gauntlets. Like, Impa had either, like, the giant-ass sword that she carried or a Naginata. Yeah, a good spread of weapons. And I think... That might be the first way to go about it, is less so you choose a race and you choose a class, and more you choose, like, a style. Yeah. I I agree with that in the sense of, like, as opposed to classes. Like, I think that's a great idea to, like, replace, like, a, a class system. Like, rather than you know, having a set class, you, like, pick items that your character has, and you have, like, an amount of, like, money you can spend on items, and, like, I think that's a great way to do class, but, like, I would personally argue for having an own separate race thing, just because, like, I don't know, I think it would be cool to have a variety of styles in tandem with a variety of these races. Like, I don't think we should just limit Gorons to having Big Hammer. Yeah. I want to see Goron with a bow. <laughs> see them use their big fucking fingers to try and figure that out. I want to see a Sheikah or a Gerudo use one of those massive fucking Goron hammers. <laughs> yeah, watch them figure it out. I want to watch a twink that isn't <laughs> Link try to do that. I think, like, there's such an element that we've gotten into, like, Legend of Zelda, the progression is so much about, like, what items you pick up. And, like, as you're going through the game, part of how you're getting better and getting more access to the world is in terms of the items that you're getting. Like, you get the hook shots, and it's like, damn, all of a sudden I can go places. Everything is woven into, like, how can I get better in terms of being able to navigate this world and explore this world and, like, confront the challenges that I'm faced with with this treasure and these items that I discover. A hundred percent. I absolutely agree. Like, I think this is very much a system where you can base leveling up around not just, like, abilities, but, like, mostly item collection. Like, I think, of course, there's always, like, you know, your, your piece of heart system where it's, like, leveling up health. But, like, I think your sort of idea of class and, like, leveling up can be based more around the items you find and decide to use than building a set of abilities. So I definitely agree with that. Part of the idea for... Because I was going to say something about items being related to character building before because 
A while back, some friends and I found a fan-made Zelda RPG online. This was years and years ago. I have no idea if it still exists. I believe it was on a site called 1D4chan. (laughs) If you can still find it, go nuts. No clue if it still exists. But they had a system for class building where it was like, you know, you have like 200 rupees to spend on items, and that defines your character. But another interesting system I thought they had was the way they kind of handled magic, because they had three different magic systems that you could choose from, one of which was just based on, like, actual, like, spells and whatnot. It was more similar to something like D&D. One was related to, like, the songs, like... The songs from something like Ocarina of Time or Wind Waker. And, like, that was kind of how you did magic based on, like, learning certain songs. Yeah. And then the third was based around rings and masks. You know, like Majora's Mask Masks. That's cool. Yeah, you you got the Majora's Mask masks and then the rings from the Oracle game. Yeah, and that was where you got your magic more so from, like, very special items. And I think because of sort of the variety of the Zelda games, it's like each game is very much sort of different. There's, you know, a lot of different elements throughout the game. So I think having varied magic systems would be beneficial to sort of encompass how varied the the games can be. Yeah, that's so cool because it takes so many forms in the universe. Like you have Sheikah technology in Breath of the Wild, especially that's like Clark's third law. It's like it's it's technology that takes the shape of magic because of how advanced it is. And it's just like, yeah, how it changes with every game is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Something that I also think would be interesting in terms of character creation is capturing the sense of, like, at the beginning of every every Zelda game, there's such a specific call to action, you know? Like, at the beginning of Breath of the Wild, you wake up and your memories have faded, but you have this voice speaking in your ear that's like, Link, wake up, mm-hmm. Link. Yeah. Like, you need, to, you need to save the kingdom. In Skyward Sword, it's the call to action, like... I'm ready to be a knight, but ah, uh, no, Zelda, like, don't go. And in all the different games, like, leaving the village and stuff like that. And I'm, I'd be so curious to see how that might be implemented in character growth and development, where in a lot of systems, I think we're finding in especially recent years, like, character advancement isn't, like, kill monsters, get XP. It's, like, taking stock at the end of a session and say, did I complete my goals that I set out for? Did I advance my understanding of my character or make moves towards fulfilling my destiny that I just think is so so fascinating that could be potentially built in here? Yeah, I would argue that ultimately part of that is up to the DM, especially in the sense of, like, the call to action. Because, like, you know, ultimately it's kind of going to very much be up to the DM to decide, you know, how things start and end. I don't think we should necessarily implement something controlling that. But, you know, I think there should definitely be encouragement for, like, you know, your character isn't so much defined by, like, how far they can level up, but, like, you know, what they accomplished that they really wanted to accomplish, you know? Sure thing. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think that's a very important thing to, you know, keep in mind going in while making something like that. Let's see. What's some other important things? Oh, yes. I think an important part of any RPG especially one that's, you know, a bit more fantasy action-oriented to talk about, is combat. 
But what I want to bring up about combat is outside of the boss fight, I mean, it's somewhat dependent on the game. I think this is more emphasized in Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword. But combat is very much sort of swing sword kill monster. Yeah, and it's usually very quick. Like, you can kind of just run in and, like, really leave when you want, especially in some of the dungeons where you're just kind of, like, running through and you don't always want to deal with the enemies. But the problem with RPG combat is pretty much any combat encounter is a big deal, at least in D&D. So I guess I raise the question of how do you sort of make combat not necessarily huge every time it happens? For me, that would involve, and I think there's such an element of, because with Legend of Zelda, it's all about navigating the world and like solving the puzzles and unlocking the mysteries of each place that you delve into. And I think in terms of combat, it would be easy enough to approach it as a one-roll thing almost, I wonder. And perhaps there are, like if you choose to use a certain amount of arrows or bombs or something like that, you have the option to spend extra resources that might be useful later on, or like equipment durability, if we include Breath of the Wild-like mechanics. But then it would be important, I think, to have something that when you reach a boss fight, you have to perhaps have these different phases of, first, I need to survive this boss's attack. And then as I'm doing that, like, maybe there is a figuring out the weaknesses phase and solving the puzzle phase, uh, which transitions into, like, skill checks. Like, can I do these things that I have discovered I need to do? And I think there's a lot of room for maneuverability there yeah like maybe you can like separate combat into three types you've got boss combat which is like equal parts combat and puzzle as you try to figure out the right way to defeat each boss you've got inconsequential combat which could just be you do a roll off against the monsters if you win they die if you lose, you take some damage, and then you can have like the option of, oh, I'll spend some arrows, either like get a bonus or get advantage or something, whatever the advantage analog is, and then something kind of like in the middle for something that's a bit more high stakes but isn't like a boss. Like, um, what's the, what's the enemy? It's the Moblin in Twilight Princess that rides the boar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, King Bacoblin, I want to say, something like that? Yeah, King Bacoblin sounds about right. But something like that, where it's not the same essence as a boss battle, but it's more consequential than run-in, swing, sword, kill monster. The mini-bosses. Yeah. I think breaking up combat into different types is smart. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to bring back something that Mike brought up during his thing where he said sort of making combat sort of a one dice roll thing. I honestly think like setting set damage amounts for like weapons for this system wouldn't be a bad idea. And it could also be something you could like upgrade as time went on. So it's like your damage doesn't stay static forever, but you know, while it lasts, you have like a set amount of damage this weapon can do right now. But you'll have a variety of different options you can do that with, and maybe different damage types will be more efficient depending on the, the situation. And I wonder if 
maybe in addition to that or as a way of like incorporating risk reward like a lot of the later zelda games incorporate the stamina meter like you can choose a weapon that's going to have a higher damage output but it is going to cost you more stamina to use which might have impact later on i wonder it might prevent you from running away or might prevent you from getting over an obstacle or something like that yeah that's a good idea if i can add an addendum to that i think might be interesting what if you had a set stamina meter and that determined like how many like attacks or actions you could take during that turn and like if you had like a stronger more powerful weapon it might take up more stamina to use and you could you know also probably level up stamina like you could with like the heart containers because those games also have like stamina vessels that you can add at least breath of the wild does yeah breath of the wild does i think there's a way in skyward sword to increase it yeah I'm, i'm pretty sure there's a way so yeah i think mike incorporating stamina is a very good idea as well Something I want to suggest maybe with, like, dice types, maybe, like, if we're doing, like, stamina determines how many actions or attacks you can take in a turn, maybe it's, like, a d6 system where you're rolling a number of d6 depending on how many actions you're taking. It doesn't have to be d6. It could be, like, d8 or d10, or that could even, like, level up as time goes on. But it's, like, you're rolling an amount of dice based on the actions you're taking and essentially trying to get, like, a success-failure range. I personally love the thought of d8s for this just because they have such an iconic triangle shape. Mm. And I love d8s. I, I don't think they get enough attention. Yeah, d8s are cool. They got that point, yeah. D8s get a decent amount of attention. D12s. D12s. Yeah, D12s are, in my opinion, the real underrated ones. But, you know, That's giving true. d8s some love is always <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. And there was a system, because Matt, you brought up, like, you have a certain amount of actions that you can take. There was a system I read recently for an RPG version of the show Altered Carbon that has a fascinating system where the gist of it, to my understanding, the rules are a little dense. The first season of the show is great. The second season, ah, didn't (laughs) hold my attention as much. I'll keep that in mind. But it was the fun watch. Very cyberpunk melodrama. But in the RPG, depending on your, like, speed or your initiative attribute, you roll a certain amount of dice, of initiative dice, and you can, I believe, choose, like, varying numbers of dice to total up to get a different initiative score. But once you use them, like, the amount of dice pools that you create determines the amount of actions you take. So something about the way it works, like, you have to consider, like, do I want to take a bunch of actions and strike first and strike fast? Or do I want to, like, hold my action for when it really counts and stuff like that? And it's something that I want to get a better understanding of, but I think is fascinating as potential to, like, yeah, when is the exact moment that I make my move. Yeah. And one thing about that is that I'd be scared that we'd run into what I'm going to name the Shadowrun problem, (laughs) where you are just rolling so many (laughs) dice, and then you just start getting slowed down just because you're rolling, like, 12d6 every round. Oh, yeah. 
And like, that's where it gets a little complicated. I think you could try balancing that out with just kind of that idea of the stamina meter and like setting cap on like, even if you were doing minimum stuff, there's still a cap to how many dice you can be rolling at one time. Yeah, I would hope to never reach <laughs> Shadowrun <laughs> levels of dice rolling because yeah. it's satisfying to roll that many dice, but when you do it for every check, it's like counting the successes. Oh, my goodness. It's satisfying to roll, and then you got to add them up. Yeah, Shadowrun, it's good but flawed. Oh, one more day until the goblinization. Until the what? Oh, right. Damn, that's happening. April 30th, 2021. Everyone get ready. Ah, well, this episode will probably be out like a month after that. We'll see if we have tusks by then. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till we're all goblins. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to see. Well, while we're talking dice and sort of numbers, I want to bring up an idea I had for stats where it kind of blends in with the idea of making your characters based on items. Like, what if you didn't even necessarily have stats, but your stats were essentially like sort of like the D&D skills? Like, you have a lot more points you can, like, put into them, but you don't have stats so much as you just have sort of stuff like athletics or, like, survival, and your character is more built around that as opposed to broader stats. I think that sounds awesome. Yeah, I think that'd be a really good way to implement it. And also, this isn't related to anything, but one of the parts I found myself enjoying most about Breath of the Wild is uh, is cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely think implementing cooking mechanics into anything is a good idea. I think cooking should be encouraged in this system, frankly. It's so viscerally satisfying to, like, see the food pile into Link's arms, and then he tosses it in, and then the little tune, and it bounces around. Oh, so, so good. And then it comes out as rocks. (laughs) The journey of any novice cook. Truly. (laughs) And one last thing I wanted to bring up, at least from my sort of ideas list, was that fan-made Zelda RPG I mentioned before had a system involving essentially Triforce leanings. Like, you put whether your character leaned more towards power, wisdom, or courage, and how that worked is it essentially could give you bonuses based on the type of action you take during a big decision. And I think this could blend into sort of the idea of emphasizing character moments, like Mike was saying, where I believe how it worked was if you picked power, you would get a bonus to making a choice during sort of a big sort of pivotal moment involving like using like strength or magical might or just kind of brute forcing the problem. You'd get a bonus if you put it into wisdom and made a choice more related to strategizing or, you know, thinking about the situation purely logically. And then you'd get a bonus to courage if you did sort of like teamwork or sort of what was best emotionally for the people around you. And I think those could be used for interesting story and character development. It's kind of like how, like, the games that use the apocalypse system, like masks, you've got the different situations. I think they use it for advancement, where, like, something happens when you, like, make a specific decision. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but relating to, like, who your character is. 
Yeah, I love the idea of yeah, implementing those Triforce leanings in such a way. That is the type of mechanic where the mechanics are supporting the story, which is just brilliant in games. And it's so cool to see games do things where there is that gameplay loop in that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add on that you think might be good additions to what we have? I wonder if each character as a last thing gets their own, like, depending on the type of companion you choose, you get different bonuses. Uh, what do you mean necessarily by companion? The difference between picking Navi and picking Fee or Fi, you know? Oh, oh, okay. In that style. <laughs> like, yeah. you have a fairy or a spirit guardian or something like that. I think could be, it was just something that popped into my head. Yeah. That might be fun. Little situational things like the Triforce leanings almost. No, I think it could be cool if like each character had a little guide that like gave them a small bonus for like a specific skill or something like that. But uh, I feel real good about this. I think we've compiled something pretty strong here. So thank you both for, uh, you know, coming on and talking about this with me. And I believe you both have things to plug. So if you want to do that, go ahead and do that now. Moth Company on YouTube. D&D live play. Um, we've gotten close to the climax of our second campaign. So hopefully some big things are in store. Uh, this is being said April 29th as a heads up. Yes. This, the climax may or may not have already passed depending on when this episode <laughs> actually comes out. We'll see. We'll see. I was on an episode once. You sure were. Uh, and I'd like to say that most of the distractions weren't entirely my fault. They were not. <laughs> I will say that for certain. That was all over the place. It was fun, though. I had a lot of it fun. It was. Sure was. And uh, Michael? Yeah, I would love to pitch The Dice Made Me Do It, which is an actual play podcast where we're focusing on the audio aspect of it. We are incorporating our wonderful sound designer to add a lot of ambient sound, interactive noise, and it's just been a blast to produce, and we are looking to begin producing that within the month, cranking out episodes to which you're hearing us. So The Dice Made Me Do It. We would love to see you there. Awesome. Awesome. Once again, thank you both so much and get out there and roll some dice. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please continue following us on the platform of your choice and recommend the podcast to other people you know. In addition, consider following us on Instagram at the.world.dreamer. This has been Matt, and I hope you have a good day.